Well, I want to pick up a little bit of where I left off last week. Um, last Sunday was what Sunday? Pentecost. Thank you. Someone remembered anyway. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday when we celebrate 50 days after the resurrection. Um, and so for us as believers, us as, as members of the Assemblies of God, we are what people would deem and call Pentecostals. I tried to kind of briefly explain to you last week to help bring an understanding that Pentecostals are the ones who believe in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the release, living a lifestyle of power uh, driven by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was released for several purposes. We're going to talk about a few of that yet today. Um, uh, where charismatics, they take this and they, they're very expressive in their worship. Uh, again, with uh, tambourines and flags and dancing and drawing and paint, they have painters and all this stuff. They, like Goyer Zion, he explained this. Chuck Christopher, he believed that, that we worship God in the release of everything. Everything that we do is a release of God. So that's why they want to have dancers dancing. They want to have painters painting, people singing, and, you know, they, that, that, that there's a release of, that's a release of worship, an expression of worship. So that, that's charismatic. Evangelicals, you use that term evangelicals, uh, evangelicals are those who are very uh, concerned for souls. They want to see people saved. They don't necessarily believe in the, the, the release of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, but they believe, they believe in evangelizing the world and bringing people to Christ so they don't get lost. The Baptist denomination is our evangelical branch of Christianity. Their, their purpose and mission is to evangelize and to save souls. And from there, they kind of fall off in discipleship sometimes, as many do. Uh, many denominations and types do. But we as the Assemblies of God, we are what we call Pentecostal. So we believe in a full expression of the release of the Spirit of God. Um, the, the Assemblies of God got its founding in 1912 when uh, William Seymour and several others were praying in a very small, almost like a stable type of facility on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And as they were praying and praying and praying and praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and released to them another expression of Pentecost on this earth. And they began to speak in tongues, and they began to see manifestations of the power of healings and miracles, and this just spread like wildfire. This, there was thousands of people coming every day, every night, all the time. Hey, the, the media picked up on it. This became a really big revival that happened in 1912. Out of that birth, the Assemblies of God. Out of that birth, almost every Pentecostal style of Organization from Foursquare to everything came out of Azusa Street in 1912. So it's, it's kind of the birthplace of the modern Pentecostal church comes, has its roots out of Azusa Street in 1912. What happened there? But what happens there came out of the roots of really what happened in Pentecost Sunday after Jesus died and was resurrected. Most of us who've read the word understand that. Or if you've been around this long enough, you understand that Pentecost fell in 33 AD roughly. Uh, and the Holy Spirit came down in power and ignited the church and set up this new movement. And it's called the birthday of the Christian church, modern Christian church, in, in essence. And so last Sunday, I talked a little bit about this. I brought up three things about Pentecost. Uh, first off, uh, being it was the release of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit upon the earth. It was the beginning of his ministry on earth. Then once Jesus left, he went and he prayed to the Father, and the Father released the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began his work on the earth. And with this mighty display of power, the Spirit was poured out on the earth. Uh, and what, what happened at Pentecost continues today. Peter said, this is not just for you. 
It's for your children and for those to come ahead. So it was a releasing of this power that was to happen for generations to come. Uh, the second aspect I brought up was that this began the central role of the church in God's work on the earth. It underscores the centrality of the church's mission and the church's role on the earth. Changed from the prophets and the priests of old to now the every day in the church, the unity of the church, the unity of the believers, gathering together to have a mission, unified together, to be released as the power agent in this on the earth, and that the, the church has this element to change the world. The third thing I brought in was the inclusive ministry of the church, meaning that for the first time in history, God poured out his spirit onto every person. Prior to that, the spirit spoke, he spoke through prophets. He spoke through the priests, he spoke through those to whom he chose on occasion. <laughs> but mostly it was the office of the priest or the office of the prophet that, through which God spoke. But now this opened up to everybody. Every person was that. Peter said this was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 that God would pour out his spirit upon men and women and young and old and old men would dream dreams and young men would, have, would prophesy. Now this would be a beginning of the outpouring of God in the end times. So we see that all people are empowered to minister regardless of gender, age, or social position. God uses everybody in the coming age, in this age of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I felt like I kind of wanted to follow up a little bit on this because really this is an important topic for us as Pentecostals to understand that that's, in essence, what sets us apart in some senses is this concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the purposes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this, this infilling of the Holy Spirit that comes and gets released through us. And it's it's a doctrine, if you want to use that word doctrine, that does separate us in some senses from other religions, other beliefs, other denominations, other gatherings of believers, is that we believe in this release of the Spirit through something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what happened on Pentecost Sunday. We call that the baptism, fulfilling of that Holy Spirit. The, there's an author, his name is P.C. Nelson, and he wrote a book about the doctrines of the Assemblies of God. If you've ever had any questions about what assemblies believe, that's an excellent source to go to. Um, we have brochures in the back, and assemblies has some stuff on their website that lists the 16 tenets of faith that we subscribe to or adhere to. Um, but P.C. Nelson took all 16 of these doctrines, and he expounded upon them with scripture. And it's, it's extremely scripture-based laying out of what are the 16 tenets of faith and why do we adhere to these. And it's an extremely good book that lays it out. And as P.C. Nelson, he explains this concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because people don't, you know, say, well, okay, so we, I get filled with the Holy Spirit when I get saved. Why do I have to have this separate expression of the Spirit of God? Why is this necessary? What is this all about? He explains that if you fill up a, a container, you fill up a container and you put it on a stove, put some water in it, it's full, Right? The directions most of the time when you want to cook pasta, what does it tell you to do? It tells you, it doesn't tell you to just put it in the water. It tells you to heat the water to 208 degrees. No, 208 degrees, right? 200 degrees? 200, no, it tells you to heat it to 212 degrees, which is boiling. And when it reaches that boiling point, the energy is released and the water begins to boil. That's what he's explaining as an analogy of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. 
It's that we are filled with the spirit, but when we reach that boiling point, the release of the energy is this, the expression that comes out of us, and we begin to speak in tongues, and we begin to see the manifestations of the things that God promises. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But that's his analogy, is that when it hits 212 is the release point. That's what the baptism is. You hit this, the release point. And the baptism of the Spirit fills us to complete and overflowing, and out come, of us comes the Holy Spirit, the release of the energy. And this is an important thing, I believe, because in Jesus, as I spoke of in Luke chapter 4, uh, was that after Jesus got baptized, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit then led him into the wilderness in Luke 4.1. But in Luke 4.14, it says that when Jesus was done in the wilderness, he came back in the power of the Spirit. So there was a, different, a definite experience that happened out in the wilderness to Jesus. Something that changed from being baptized and being full of the Spirit. Now he's coming back and he's in the power of the Spirit. Something changed. So there, there's a dramaticness that comes that we are, I think that we need to model ourselves after. When Jesus was with the disciples, and we see in John 20, 22, it says that he breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Same thing, filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And then later, after everything takes place, he dies, gets resurrected, all these things happen. It says that when he was departing from them, his final words was he told them to gather together and to tarry and to wait. And it says that he would be, it says you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's a separate experience. He had already breathed on them, told them receive it. But now he's saying wait for the baptism, for a separate experience to happen to you some point later. And so he commanded them to wait and tarry in Jerusalem. And it says at this time, he told them, that they would receive power when the Spirit came upon them. So see, there's a, there's a point to this, that it's more than just a goosebumps type of experience. It's a filling of a power, an explosion of power that comes out of us. And again, if I've defined this word a hundred times from the pulpit, that word power is dunamis. It is dynamite. It is the thing that happens when you light a stick of dynamite and it the fuse comes to the end of it. It explodes with this dynamic power that alters everything around it. That is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all believers are entitled to and should adamantly expect and earnestly seek this promise of the Father. He told them to wait and tarry for this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, is should be, and it was, the normal church expression in Acts. This happened all the time in the book of Acts. As, as Peter and, the, and Paul and the other apostles went about, that was one of the first questions they would ask. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So he was asking them to explain this was a separate experience that they needed to participate in. So when it comes with this experience comes this endowment of power for life and service and a bestowment of the gifts and how to use them in the mystery. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So we see this, that with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes several things. First comes this overflowing fullness of the Spirit of God. It's so overflowing in us, it's boiling in us so much, we can't contain it. It just kind of oozes out of us wherever we go. And every time we get in contact with people, this Holy Spirit should be oozing out of us <laughs> to touch them. They you know, should get it all over them. Kind of like glitter all over them when they, after we get done touching them. It, it brings a deepening reverence for God, a, a deeper understanding of who God is. 
It brings an intensified consecration to God and dedication to his work. And it brings a more active love for Christ, for his word, and for the lost. These are statements out of P.C. Nelson's book as an explanation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that when Jesus says this and he tells them to tarry and to wait, it says that they are to wait for the promise of the Father. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, I believe it is. He tells them to wait for the promise. So we see that it is not a promise. It is the promise of the Father. Interesting that he would use that. I think this is the great mountain peak promise that towers above everything except for the promise of the coming Messiah. See, in the Old Testament, the promise was the Messiah. The, the prophets kept speaking this promise, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. Now Jesus comes and he says, wait for the promise, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. So it's the release of the promise that God the Father released to us. But the Holy Spirit here, this release, again, is not given to believers as a spiritual luxury for our own personal satisfaction, for our own personal gain and enjoyment. But it's this endowment of power to be effective in witnessing the gospel to others. So the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem on that day of Pentecost, again, I talked about this lesson, it would be crazy. Uh, Craig, you would have been, wouldn't it be great if you are at the air show and all of a sudden... You know, the glory of God have fallen. I don't know how many people were there, 20,000 people or 10,000, whatever. Just think about it like it was in Jerusalem. I mean, there had to have been 100,000 people gathered, and all of a sudden this happens, and boom, you know, it's just like this crazy thing happens. Everybody starts talking. Instead of watching jets, they start watching what's going on over here. What's, whoa, what, you know, what, the release of God is more powerful than any jet that goes overhead, you know. And it turned everybody's hearts and 3,000 people out of that crowd, however many people were there, came to Christ instantly. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And now they were more plentifully and more powerfully made ready than any time. They had spent three and a half years with Jesus. I mean, well, think of all the stuff they saw. I, I, I just love when you read the word the heart of, the, of the, the disciples, you know. I mean, how much different they were than us, really. Three and a half years, they walked with Jesus. Physically walked with him. I mean, we, we don't have that luxury. You know, we don't get to physically walk with him. They walked with him and saw, they saw Lazarus come out of the grave. You know, they saw, you know, the sea get totally glass calm. They saw people start to hear and limbs grow out and all this stuff. And Jesus is a crucified, comes back to life. And they look at him and say, so are you going to restore your kingdom now? Like they didn't even get it yet. <laughs> I mean, they still didn't understand it. The Holy Spirit fall, and it's like in an instant, Peter got it. I mean, it just took just a microsecond. It says a twinkling of an eye, and he got it. And he stood up in front of everybody and says, I got it. I get it now. See, the Holy Spirit, that's what it does. He gives us this instantaneous equipping to have this power, the stuff we could never do before. They were more filled with the graces of the Spirit, better understanding of everything Anything they, were, they got because of the Holy Spirit. They were more filled with the comforts of the Spirit and rejected, or, and rejoiced more and loved more and had more hope than ever before. So see, that's the, the thing for us is that as the book of Acts, when God pours this out, he filled his new believers. That's the same experience that we should be going through. That we were once lost 
When we were fallen by salvation, is a good thing. But when we get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it takes us to another level beyond. It's a launching pad that we just don't get without this experience. See? And it's interesting, Mary talked about wind and all. Said how this was such a prophetic act as wind and fire. It's like the wind came through, as, as you were saying, it's kind of a cleansing. He, the wind came through because this is a whole new work, and he just blew over the whole thing. See, it was a prophetic sign. The cleansing of the fire and the cleansing of the wind. And the release of the speaking in tongues. And he baptized them in this separate experience. It's a separate experience from water baptism or a separate experience from salvation. And it comes to people who are hungry for more of God. I mean, that's clear. That those who want more of God get this release of the power of God. Because it, it comes when people gather. It comes corporately when people gather. It comes individually when people gather. Because they're hungry. Now, my brother and his wife, oh, I share this experience. Now, the first time they got involved in a Pentecostal type of setting, and Larry, my brother Larry, heard, you know, speaking in tongues, and he always feels like, yeah, I want this. You know, this is what, and, and, and in this meeting, he ends up getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and his wife, Bai, is like, I don't know about this. She was Mennonite. She's like, ah, wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about this first. And they get home. And she's in her bedroom, on her bed, she's praying, God, is this, is this real? And the Spirit let it go. Now, it was a totally different experience. It was because she was hungry. She said, God, if it's real, I want it. Amen. She meant it. And ever since that time, you know, they've been filled with this the experience of the baptism of the Spirit. So these new believers now wanted to have something more. They were desperate for something different. They didn't want to be more than just good church people. You know, that do potlucks and do VBSs. They wanted something more. And so God fell upon them, and so they became these Pentecostals that were the pioneers of this newest church movement. And these early Pentecostals began as people yearning for a holiness of God and praying for power to evangelize the world. So here's this thing that was happening to them. They were, they were hungry for power, but they were also wanting to evangelize the world. So there's kind of this balance we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, this twin passion where they're looking for purity, they're looking for holiness, but yet they want a release of the power. They want a condition, but they want a mission. They want a fruit and they want a fullness. And this twin passion is central for us being the agents of God today to change our generation. Okay. There's this... There's this kind of internal wrestling. I was talking a little bit to Craig about this this week when we got together. This, this twin wrestling in, in Christians, particularly Pentecostals. You know, we have this, you know, we fight through the normal things of life, the normal decisions of life, financial decisions and, you know, business decisions and even decisions and buying this car and doing these kinds of things. But we also wrestle with the spiritual things in our lives too. You know, praying for people and, this like, I gotta work, but as I'm walking through this store and I gotta get back to my job, there's this person with a cast on. You know, should I take the time to stop and witness to them? I got all this stuff I gotta do over here, but should I do this? And we get kind of there's this internal wrestling inside of us for the spiritual things and the physical things at once. And there's this internal wrestling within the church that happens 
between the two sides of things, where there's like a holiness side of people who want us want to be almost legalistic about how you behave, your, your character matters, all these things, de demonstrating the fruit of the spirit and how you treat people is the most important part of it. And then there's this other side of the church, the charismatic Pentecostal side, who are just all about the power and let's yeah, let's you know we're gonna pray, we're gonna see, we're gonna break down these strongholds, we're gonna bust through this stuff, and there's kind of this wrestle between the two kind of sides of the church in some ways. But there's, it's there because I think that God wants us to be, have character, want us to be people of integrity, want us to be people of holiness, but he wants us to have people of power who release the power of God into people's lives at the same time as well. And that's what the early believers were looking for, and that's this twin thing that happens with us that the Holy Spirit does. The baptism does two things for us. It gives us the power, because we can't do it ourselves, so the, he is the change agent that works through us but he also comes into our lives and he transforms us and transforms us and transforms our image to be more like God, more like Jesus, more like Christ, and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit more than we did before. You get the twin parts to this? So see, the disciples were completely different than they were the day before that. <laughs> I mean, and again, if you notice the change in Peter is this guy who denied Jesus in front of people, and the next day he stand up in front of at the air show in front of everybody, <laughs> saying, you got to change. It's totally different. Well, our desires of being sensitive to one side or the other sometimes to this should and does take place. I think it's possible to embrace both parts of this idea of our character, but the power as well. And that baptism, as it's laid out in the book of Acts, is about power for mission. But it's also about the Spirit transforming us into Christ's image. So I said, as you fast forward from Acts to, to Pentecost in 1912, that's what happened. The movement also begins with these Christians. The same thing happening. Gathered together, earnestly yearning for power, earnestly, and it was a holiness movement. It came out of the holiness movement. But they wanted to see purity. They wanted to see holiness, but they wanted something more. And so the same thing happened. This breakout of the Holy Spirit came because of their hearts of wanting those two things. See, that power for mission, and it's so important that we yearn for this power for mission to be able to do things differently with the power, that Luke ties this together in both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He mentions this as the mission of, of the church. He tells us that Jesus taught them to, and wrote that we should do what Jesus taught us to do. This mission of power. Changing people's lives everywhere we went. Now Luke, when he writes, and he talks about this mission, when he talks about any kind of mission, it talks about the release of power and miracles. Those, that phrase and those words go kind of hand in hand with this. This signs and wonders that are released with the power and the mission of God. When he talks about power, what Luke is most often talking about is healing and deliverance. So when we are asking for power, what we're asking for is, God, we want to see healings and we want to see deliverances of people set free. That's the mission of power that we should be. When he uses that word miracles, the word usually translates to works of power. So we want to see miracles happen. We want to see works of power being released. Crazy miracles. 
Sometimes they're crazy miracles, aren't they? I mean, animals being healed and <laughs> what was that? Swords being found again, right? <laughs> I want my sword back. <laughs> I want my knife back. I want my knife back. Crazy things of words of wisdom and words of knowledge, saying really crazy stuff to people, like Todd White's talking about, you know, as Craig has done in Sunday school. These crazy things. That's what miracles are, works of power. Now, again, we talked about how God released on Pentecost the wind, the fire, and the tongues. And of these, the tongue, idea of tongues has been the most enduring. Um, and Luke explicitly repeats the idea of tongues on multiple occasions when he writes in the book of Acts. Talks about Paul and Peter both asking people, Have you spoken in tongues since you received the baptism? So praise in tongues is a catalyst of recognizing the work of God in our lives. So when we the assemblies teaches that when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues. Because it's the release of an acknowledgement of the receiving of the gift. But that continues on, but that's the initial aspect of it, is how the assemblies believe. Why would Luke be so important in this, in emphasizing this? Because on the day of Pentecost, and from there forward, the release of this power of multiple tongues was an evidence to the people there that God wanted to work in their language, in their culture. And if they could begin to hear what God was speaking in their own tongue, their own language, they could believe, well, I, they could believe that God was wanting to work in their culture and with them. So that's why it was so important that he, I believe that he released this idea of the evidence of tongue to bring this nature of receiving the baptism to multiple generations. That the Spirit empowers us to speak across all cultural boundaries. Now I've heard multiple times from people who talk about speaking in tongues. That I've heard, I heard testimony there that there was a service and the guy started clucking like a chicken in the middle of a church service. Basically started clucking like, and it sounds what it sounded like. And in the back row, some guy stood up and said, I can understand everything that guy's saying. He was from some tribe in Africa or something. He said that was their native language. That's what it sounded like, a bunch of clucking, the different clickings of the tongue and clackings and clickings. And he, said, I, and he started interpreting what this guy was saying. It was a release of a sign to him that God was working in that building, in that room. And it increased his faith because of the release of that. What's that? Yeah, I mean, it's some kind of bad bridging. But it, I'm just saying that I've heard that multiple times where people begin to prophesy, you know, Chinese or Korean or someone, and there's someone in the room who fully understands what they're saying. It happens multiple times. So the promise of this thing, he inspired us to worship him with other languages to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth. There's more than English language in this earth, by the way. Just to let you know that. In America, we get kind of this bubble. You know, there's 55 dialects of Spanish just on the Amazon River. I mean, just within a few miles. There's 55 different dialects, and they're very distinct. So God needed that to be able to get the word out. So these first witnesses released this promise, and Peter began quoting Joel chapter 2 and explained to the crowd that tongues was an indication of prophetic empowerment that God was pouring out his spirit and his flesh on all human beings, that men and women, young and old, would prophesy, would have dreams and begin to have these experiences that should be every, an everyday part of our lives. 
And to make sure that we understood that, he concluded by saying, and all will prophesy that everybody has this open gifting of prophesying. So then according to this, prophetic power should be the church's new normal. Shouldn't it? It should be happening all the time, I believe. Prophesying should be happening all the time in the church. A lot of churches shy away from that. You know, there's a lot of seeker-friendly churches who don't want that because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. But fear is just that really an apathy of not understanding. You know, it's a lack of not understanding what this purpose is and what it's, and some of it's training to some degree to understand how to prophesy in some senses because you know, some people don't understand how to do it. And if, we, if, if someone makes a mistake, I was telling Ron, we've had this on the floor for 12 years, and I think there's been three times in 12 years, two times on a Sunday morning and once at rise to the call, where we had to kind of pull people aside and say, I don't think that you should have said that. But most people, I think, when they understand they're speaking something from God, Jake was prophesying this morning, something that you received, a vision that you received, thoughts that you received, are prophesying. That should be a normal for the church. Okay. Well, since Pentecost, he has empowered us to hear him and speak him, not like in the Old Testament when the prophets and the priests heard and then spoke. Now we can hear and speak because we all have the Spirit. And we can share this word to change the world together. Now the second thing I want to bring up real quick before I get down here is this changeover that happens into us eternally. First is that, that power for mission, that releasing of the Spirit gives us through this tongue and through other things, through the other gifts, this power for mission, this power to change the world. The second part of it is that the Spirit releases to us this idea of changing our lives through the, the gifts that He drops into us. The, the Spirit not only empowers us to evangelize, but he contra Paul contrasts this life change in Galatians 5 where he brings up the, the, the gifts of the, the fruit of the world and the fruit of the Spirit. That once we receive the Spirit, we should see a radical transformation in our character. That we should be exhibiting love, joy, peace, gratefulness, thankfulness, patience, above these things being what? Love. That we should see a transformation in our lives, how we treat people. So Paul encourages us to make every effort to live by the Spirit and encourages us to be that way so that our lives will draw people to Christ because they want to be like us because we're like Him. Amen. So ultimately, they want to be like Him. Because I don't want people to be like me. I mean, I do want people to be like me because if everybody was like, like me, the world would be a great place. <laughs> we would all get along really well if you were all just like me. We all want to be like Christ. Because the world would be a much better place if we were like Christ. Wouldn't it be? So he encourages us that our lives can draw people unto Christ. And Paul focuses in Galatians 5 about how the spirit within us makes our character look more like God's conforming us to that image of Christ. Through that fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is God's character percolating and growing within us. So what should we expect this to look like? The Spirit cultivates peace with our neighbors. The Spirit celebrates God and others with joy. The Spirit makes us patient with others' faults, makes us generous and thoughtful and gentle and self-controlled. The Spirit grows virtues in us that make us feel and make us act towards others the way that God would want us to act towards them. 
into your eternal life. So by this infilling, by this baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in the Spirit, which is walking a path that the Spirit leads us to walk in how we can behave. So when we walk by the Spirit, we bear much fruit, and that fruit springs up because God's heart is working in us and through us. So we're able to draw others into this walk of faith. So that's what the baptism, that's a part of that. So this combination then, this baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes, that fills us, that explodes us up at boiling point, and it boils out and out of us, is the two-part thing. My conclusion on this is it's for power, for us to have a life filled with power to be able to do things through the Spirit of God, to see healings and deliverances in people's lives. And it also brings to us a change of character, that we begin to manifest more characteristics of Jesus as he lived them out and exemplified them. Stand with me if you would. If you have not received this, I'm going to encourage you to come up and receive it. I always kind of assume that, like I was always taught, kind of assume everybody's a Christian until you find out they're not. <laughs> kind of assume, knowing this crowd, that people have been exposed to this long enough that everyone here has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you have not been, I open that up, an opportunity to come up and talk about it and pray for it. Lord, we just thank you this morning for that release of the Holy Spirit on the earth, for that releasing of the power and releasing of the, the ability for us to have our characters changed and altered so that we can be more like you, more like Jesus. Exemplify that in this world. I pray that you would help us to grab a hold of that and that we would have a message that's so exciting and so valuable to people all around us that they would want to come to understand what it is that separates us from others. That the church, the Pentecostal church, God, would be filled with power, would be filled with love, would be filled with mercy, so much so that others would just, driving by would be so compelled to have to come in by the Spirit of God to find out what this is about and what it's like. God, just quicken our hearts every day to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit with power and with character. So, that, so much so that we're just impacting everything around us thank you for this gift that you've given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.